Hey, welcome to Lakeview Sermon of the Week. We're so grateful to have you here, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. Just keeps on getting gooder. Keeps on getting gooder. Acts chapter 3. We are plowing our way through. And uh, I tell you what, man, this study in Acts has been challenging me. And uh, I don't want to settle for a less church experience than what I'm seeing in Acts. And I think the Lord's calling us to to more. He's calling us to deeper. And uh, I just want all that God has for my life and all he has for your life. Um, I just don't want to settle. I just don't want to settle for less than uh, what God provides for his people. Um, We last left, Peter is preaching the gospel, and he sees this radical response. Days earlier, the same people were crying out, crucify him, crucify him, give us Barabbas, choosing a pathway of rebellion versus the slain lamb approach that Jesus calls us to take. Jesus calls us to lay our lives down, not to take life. And so they chose Barabbas, who was one who was uh, revolting and trying to lead an insurrection. And that's the path that seems to be the quickest path and the most powerful path many times to us. But Jesus teaches us a different example. He teaches us that the path to real power is to lay down our life and to take on the character of the Lamb. And that's why when you look throughout the Scripture in the book of Revelation, you see John hears a lion, but then when he looks... He sees a lamb. 29 times in the book of Revelation, Jesus is called the lamb. So it begins to create this comical picture to where the kings of the earth in chapter 6, they're saying, let the mountains fall on us and hide us from the wrath of the lamb. (laughs) Have you ever been afraid of a lamb? (laughs) But that's the comedic value that John's trying to get us to get to is to say, if you want real power, it comes in you laying your life down. And if you can lay your life down, then you can change the world. You can change the world. So Jesus has framed the universe like this. You want to win? Wash some feet. You want to win? Lose. And if you've got a competitive spirit like me, I almost got kicked out of church camp one year as a youth pastor. I'm serious. I got into it with a pastor over dodgeball. He was making some bad calls. I'm serious. Kenny Hibbert at Cedarville First Assembly come try to bow up. I said, hey, buddy, let's go right now. I'm taking a, I'm a youth pastor. I'm taking it. like, come on, buddy. I ain't afraid of you. I don't care how old you are. Come on, make a call like that. Keep me out of first place. That was my 20s, so I won't be held responsible. But it's hard to lose. It's hard to lose. But Jesus teaches us that in this pathway that, that it looks like we're losing, but we're actually winning. And it's, it's that that breaks the back of the principalities of powers. Because there, when you can get to a place where the emotional response doesn't make you react and to do something, because this is where the demonic works. The demonic works within your emotions. Like that's the seat. And if you give them your emotions, I don't care how saved you think you are, they'll be steering that ship. And I love it. I love what Tommy Tenney said. He's like, you know, God never fails you on the test. He just makes you keep taking it over and over. 
And if you'll notice the patterns in your life, you're blaming the devil, but the Lord is really probably just trying to get you to pass that test where you can go to level up and go to the next place. So this book of Acts experience of Peter preaching the gospel, people days earlier saying crucify him, are now looking at him, a man that they pinned to a cross and said, we don't want to go that way and do that, are now asking the apostles, what must we do to be saved? And Peter gives them some kind of formula, maybe, not sure. He says, repent and be baptized. And so, ones that are crying out for Jesus' death, some days later are now saying, I want to die like that. And that's the power of the gospel message. And if we're not experiencing that kind of conversion, where that people would see Jesus as so beautiful and so valuable that they'd be willing to die for him, I doubt their conversion. Because what's happened with the church is we've lowered the bar so low that everybody can jump over it. When Jesus sets the bar so high, it's only by the power of the Spirit that you could attain to it. But when we create a cultural Christianity to where if you're saved, well, you come to church when the doors are open, you throw some money in the bucket here and there, and, and you might be nice to people every once in a while, you know? It's like, it's like, behold, the glory of God, right? It's like, but when I read the book of Acts, I'm seeing a different quality of life. I'm seeing a different thing happening that these people that were thinking they were in are now being baptized, which was how conversions would happen with pagans. If pagans came into and were proselytized into Judaism, they would have to be baptized. Now he's looking these Jews in the face and saying, no, you gotta be dunked too. That this ground near Jesus is all level. And it's this kind of a death that we gotta be willing to die. And so 3,000 added to the church. I'd say that's a pretty good little crusade there. You know, Sunday we're baptizing about 30. I thought that was pretty good. Then I read the book of Acts and I'm thinking, not very good. I need to step it up. Got to go deeper. And it doesn't condemn me. It's not like I'm walking around licking my wounds. It's, it's, it's giving me a target to shoot for to know what's possible. So they were then committed to the apostles' teaching. And people get weird about the word apostle. All it means is sent one. Because the only way God accomplishes his purposes is through that which he sends. And what happens is we've got a bunch of people that hadn't been sent who might have some wisdom and might have some good teachings or some good messages, but they've never been sent. And the only way you can be sent by God is to be put on the bench by God. <laughs> Because if you go out on your own, you're not sent. It's just some kind of desire or something you're trying to fulfill in and of yourself. And now you're going to be obedient to an opportunity, but not to the word of God and to his direction and by his spirit. So the Lord would put us in a position to say, if you want to be an apostle, you need to be sent. So you can't go just because you got a good idea and a passion. You got to go when God says go. So you're not moved by your gifting or your ability to move a crowd. You're moved by, is the King Jesus giving me an order, is he not? Ah. So this was the embryonic expression of the church, the apostles' teaching. And then get this, they're sharing meals and worshiping daily. And this is where it gets really crazy. And they had all things in common. Isn't that something? That the Holy Spirit had done such a work, there wasn't anything that one person had that the other person didn't have access to. That's crazy. People say, man, sounds like socialism. Well, no, because it's not anybody forcing. It was the love of God motivating that motive, and it was free choice. So it's not like a socialist agenda going on here. The Holy Spirit has so wrecked their hearts that 
You got it. I got it. And you need it here. So we see this thing of committed uh, fellowship to one another. They're sitting under sound teaching. They're not having to, you know, uh, that's another conversation for another time. But they're submitted to the apostles' teaching. They're, they're sharing their meals. They're worshiping daily. They have all these things in common. And so this, this common message of Joel chapter 2, what a strange text. I mean, he just pulls out Joel 2. And... 3,000 people get saved. This was the embryonic expression of the church. But the next phase in the sustaining wave of evangelism wasn't Peter getting up in another venue and preaching another sermon. It was the quality and character of the people in the church that caught the attention of the world. And it said, it's more than a message. It's a reality in the people. And that's what sustained and kept adding to the church. It wasn't built upon grandstanding or here comes Peter, pull out the Joel too because we're in a bad place. It was no, they had so been converted and apprehended by the Holy Ghost that King Jesus had every part of their lives. And so people begin to get curious and wonder, what kind of a people is this kind of a people? How does a people love like that? And the world couldn't help but notice. <laughs> Not based upon superstars or stadium crusades, but based upon people loving each other well. <laughs> Man. And that's how it was sustained and so when you get an environment like that where love's in the room and people are saying, if you've got it, if I've got it, you need it, here it is, um, something else begins to happen, what we're about to read about. And Acts 2.43 gives us the segue to the next chapter, chapter 3, where we're going to be going. So Acts chapter 2, verse 43 gives us the segue an extra little layer of beautiful things that are going on here. And this is what my version says. Yours will say something a little different probably, but it says, reverential awe came over everyone and many wonders and miraculous signs came about by the apostles. So when this character begins to be developed, when this love begins to be uh, shaped, and, and when people begin to let the Holy Spirit in and have this kind of access, God begins to release something from heaven that is uncommon. Because he can release something that's uncommon from heaven because there's so much love in the room and there's so much camaraderie and there's so much unity going on that he can trust them with great and mighty works because the great and mighty works aren't going to become idols that are going to end up bringing them down. Because the more miraculous thing than the miracle is the fact that people could actually love each other. Like, that's the miracle of the text. They wanted to actually be together. And you've seen this happen, man. Have you been in a service where the Holy Ghost is moving? And then you get up from the altar and everybody's just chatting. Why? Everything's lifted. Walls down, roof off. Let's connect. Because that's what the Holy Spirit's that's the miraculous thing that he's really wanting to do. And when an environment begins to be cohesive in that way, God's like, okay, I'm going to release these miracles. I'm going to release something so supernatural that reverential awe is just going to be just permeating in the building. And that, and that in the people, there's going to be this reverential awe and this signs and wonders are going to be moving within people and within the churches, within God's church. And so, so this is kind of the segue to chapter three of this kind of next story. It's going to give us a, a picture of what this probably looked like with Peter and John and, and uh, this encounter that they have with the man at the temple. So Acts chapter three, verse one. 
Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at that time for prayer um, at three o'clock in the afternoon. Well, that makes it easy. Um, so there were hours of prayer in the morning and the evening. The time of prayer for the evening offering mentioned here is right at 3 p.m. So faithful Jews would go two times a day and would go pray. Now, there's something to note here is that Peter and John were going to the temple, but Peter and John weren't just the only ones going to the temple. You know when they were with Jesus, Jesus was going to the temple. So there's a caveat here, is that they're following the pattern that King Jesus set for them. And isn't it funny that their recruitment ground for evangelism is the church? People say, man, why would they go to the church to convert people? Hmm. You been? <laughs> if anybody needs an evangelistic effort, it's the church. So it's like, man, we got to do some soul saving. Well, let's go to prayer to church. It's like, need some help. Um, isn't it funny? that Jesus could have chose to be anywhere in the whole world. He could have went to the most remote places of Papua New Guinea where there was cannibalism. He could have went to the darkest places that never even heard of God and had all kinds of crazy beliefs. But you know what devil he had to kill first? The devil of religion. And there wasn't a more religious place than first century Jerusalem. And Jesus says, if I don't tackle that devil, the cannibals are nothing compared to a religious spirit. Because it's the religious spirit that pins Jesus on the cross. It says, give us our rules and rituals, but don't touch our heart. Repent and be baptized. Yeah, right. You repent and be baptized. That's why the message cuts to the heart, the gospel, because it just tells everybody, Repent and be baptized. You're not coming with any bragging rights to King Jesus. You come in a bended knee and you say, here is my life. And it won't look perfect. It'll take you some time to figure all this stuff out. Nobody's saying that. But how you start is going to be how you finish. And some of you started with not making him king. You started with him just forgiving you of your sins. And it puts you in a dangerous position because you've got just enough of God to think you're saved, but not enough to actually be saved. So your whole relationship is just asking for forgiveness of sins, but you've got no concept of King Jesus. You've got no concept that he's in charge and that you're handing your life over to him. Because Jesus takes this stuff serious. I mean, he says like crazy stuff. He says, oh, we're two or three together in my name? Oh, yeah, I'm going to be in the midst of there. That's governmental talk. The Romans had this kind of talk. It was called conventus. And what they said was if two or three Romans got together on anywhere in the planet, they had the power of Rome behind them when they were making decisions. And so Jesus says, uh-uh, not Rome, kingdom of God. Anywhere there's two Christians, start setting up governmental authority and begin to bring heaven down to earth. Because if you got just two or three, that's enough for me to set up a new colony of people that are saved, full of the Holy Ghost, that want to turn the world upside down. We're trying to get a crowd, and the crowd killed Jesus. What happened if we had two or three? You say, well, that seems like a small feat. You ever try to get two people to agree on anything? Come pastor the church. Words are too long. That's not long enough. Why did you preach? You shouldn't have preached. You preach. You need to preach more. You Carpet, chairs, lights, smoke, fog, what? Speakers, those are too big. God can't move through that. You know, it's like, it's a joke, man. But it's a religious spirit that keeps us from getting to the main thing, which is King Jesus ruling and reigning in our lives. So we're not discipling nations that God calls us to. We're fighting with each other. What a trick of the enemy. What a trick. It's like, so Jesus 
passed by here. They're following his, well, why would you say that? Well, verse two will tell us. And a man lame from birth was being carried up who was placed at the temple gate called the beautiful gate every day so he could beg for money from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple courts, he asked them for money. So get this, this man had been placed there for a long time, lame from birth. How old is he? He had to be at least adult age because he couldn't have given an account or a testimony just like the man that was born blind and was healed. He could testify for himself. So he had to be of a certain age to be considered an adult. So we're just going to say maybe he's anywhere from 20 to 30. We don't know, but he's been placed there to raise money, to gain money, to, to, you know, beg. So that means this, Jesus passed by this guy. I'm about to mess with your theology right here. Jesus passed by him and didn't heal him. What does that mean? It means sometimes Jesus hands the baton to you and says, that's not my mission. That's your mission. Because Jesus isn't looking for cheerleaders. He's looking for apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and to partner with him to bring his heart into earth. That's why I hate that statement. Like, oh, if that person's got a healing anointing, then go in that hospital and clear the hospital out. Jesus never even did that. Jesus says, well, Elijah just went to one widow when there was a bunch of widows that were suffering. But he had to go to the one in which he was called to go to. Not just run around and try to just wreak havoc and turn everything upside down. Why? Because it's not about the act itself. It's about who's behind the act and who's sending. So you could be diving into causes that you've never been called to be sent to and then be like frustrated. What's going on here? And God said, well, you just saw that need and thought that was what I was calling you to. Maybe it wasn't what I was calling you to that it would be the voice of God that moves us, not our own ideas of what God ought to be doing through us. So Jesus passed by this guy who was begging for money. He was like, "Mm -hmm. your day's coming, but not yet. (laughs) You have to wait till these guys catch up. (laughs) It's like, whoa, man, those guys, are they ever gonna catch up? Well, I don't know, I'm content to wait till they do. Um, so that the glory of God could be revealed in them instead of manipulating every situation where they get whatever they want. So Jesus is willing to pass by needs to wait for his disciples to catch up to the ability to fulfill the needs that God's called them to fulfill. So Jesus passed by this guy, and now Peter and John are now passing by this guy. And he's placed at this gate called Beautiful. And he's begging for money. So given his condition, he was considered to be not whole, so he, couldn't only, he could only go so far into the courts. He couldn't go into the places because he would have been considered unclean given his malady, given his situation. So here he is. Best he could do is beg to those faithful Jews going to prayer and hopefully get some change or, or some money. And so this is where he's at. So he's placed at this gate called Beautiful. Uh, what gate is this? Uh, we're really not sure. The best guess we've got is through a guy named Josephus, who was a first century kind of historian who was capturing the, the history of the time. And so um, he talks about a gate called the Nicanor Gate, which was uh, a bronze gate that was beautiful. And it was named after a guy from Alexandria who had donated and made this beautiful bronze gate. And the gate was said to be so beautiful Um, it was more beautiful than any gold gate or any gate ever constructed. And so that's where scholars have landed, that it was at this beautiful gate. So here you have a guy that's kind of a mess being placed by something beautiful with the hopes that he would stick out. Because if you've got something 
ugly next to something beautiful. Dragon. <laughs> Hopefully, he'll stand out enough that somebody goes, help this brother out. He's by something beautiful and he needs some help. Come on, y'all have seen this before. It's kind of like when you're going to meet somebody, you don't bring your friend that's a beauty queen to go with you when you're trying to meet somebody. Is that too real? Sorry. <laughs> you say, who's a, it's like if I'm going to meet somebody, I'm not bringing my most handsome friend. I'm saying, who's the ugliest guy I know to back me up? Trying to help y'all out here. That's why some of y'all getting, getting stiffed. That's the idea here is something beautiful next to something not so beautiful, not whole. Um, so Jesus has kind of left this mission behind for his, for his people. And so he's at this really beautiful gate. No hopes to go in to the temple or the inner courts, but uh, regarded to, relegated to these outskirts and, and having to trust on the kindness of other people. That's a tough place to be. Have you ever been there? You had to trust the kindness of other people to survive? That's tough. You feel powerless. So at the end of the day, he's in a powerless place and lame from birth and notice how he's called the man lame from birth his identity is an issue that he's known more by his issue than he is by who God's made him and created him to be and that can happen to us all right we can so identify with what's wrong with us that we forget who we were ever created to be. So we become the man lame from birth or the guy that never gets it right or the person that can't do this or, or so-and-so that will bite your head off or, you know. They've done that at church before. It's like, you know so-and-so? No, who's that? Oh, you know that one that does this, that, or the other? Oh, yeah, I do know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you can be known more by your issue than you can by your God-given identity. And heaven forbid us be known by anything other than our God-given character and identity. So he says, hey, uh, this guy, blind or lame from birth, and he's being labeled for his issue, not for who God created him to be. And yeah, his issue became his identity. So verse four, Peter looked directly at him. Don't you love that? Eye contact. No, that's really something there, right? Because you guys have been at those intersections where people got the signs and you're like, I ain't looking. Don't look over here. I ain't got no change. Don't you dare look in my direction. It's like, you're like, I'm not going to humanize you by looking at you. I'm going this way and I'm not messing. But Peter is looking for the gaze. Uh, G-A-Z-E. <laughs> Sorry. He might be looking for them too, but, but he's looking. He's looking for them too. He's looking for everybody. But, G-A-Z-E. And so, so Peter, so think of this. You're there, 10 and 2. Don't look. But instead, you're doing this. Hey. Hey. The only way you make eye contact like that is you've got so much confidence on the inside of you that you're not intimidated by somebody else's issue. That was from the throne, man. I, that come from the Lord. Listen, he was like, hey, 
And he's probably thinking in his mind, man, I'm just trying to beg here. Can you, you're messing up my little hustle here. You know, can you move on? And he's like, no, hey, hey, here, here. Look right here. Oh, man, poor fisherman. You guys ain't got nothing that could help me. But Peter's got so much confidence in what's on the inside of him. See, when you don't know what's down on the inside of you, you'll never look to make eye contact with somebody that's got an issue. You'll see people as an inconvenience, not as in the image of God and a possibility of a miracle to be happening. So Peter has got so much in the Lord in him that he's like, look at us. Look at us right here. Look at us. Yes, we're poor fishermen. And you can probably tell we don't have any money but we have something on the inside of us that we've been acquainted with that won't just alleviate your suffering, but would actually make you whole. That won't just give you a temporary fix, but that could change the whole trajectory of your life. You know, I thought about this. My dad's not here. It, uh, they're in Argadelphia and they live in the river bottoms. They're like flooded. Like, my parents are flooded. So, I don't know. Hopefully the water seeds. I'm not sure. Maybe, uh, maybe I get a boat and try to find them. I'm not sure. But it's just crazy. It's low land. There was nowhere for the rain to go. So they couldn't be here tonight. But I think about my dad. My dad was in his 30s when he got saved. My dad was, I don't think he would mind me telling you. Well, this is being streamed. Oh, well, who cares? Dad... I love you if you're watching. <laughs> My dad was he, was, he was just an outlaw. He would work during certain times of the year, and then the rest of the year, he would gamble. He could hustle you and pull. He could beat you at a card table, which is what he did. He built on whole rooms to my parents' house because he could, he could gamble. He was just that guy. Many nights, dad getting pulled out of the pool hall, and it's just what it was. But then he had an encounter with Jesus. And I wonder what would the trajectory of my life would have been if he wouldn't have made the decision to follow Jesus. What if he would have been content with the change that was in people's pockets? And not want something more that would go deeper. It could have possibly, who knows, changed the whole trajectory of my family. Where I don't marry him, I don't have the girls I have, and I'm out doing God knows what. Because he trusted what God had down on the inside of a preacher that was calling him to repentance. Changes the whole trajectory of it all. And, but you can't have that kind of confidence in witnessing if you don't know what's on the inside of you. You know why some of you don't witness? It's not because you're not good talking to people. You got to get over that excuse. You know why you don't witness? You don't know what you have on the inside of you. You've not been acquainted with Holy Ghost on the inside of you. God's been saving people with bad sermons for years. He's been saving people with bad theology. I'm just telling you. Some of the stuff I'm like, ooh. And then people respond. I'm like, well, I guess. What do I know? I mean, oh, I could go into so many funny stories right now, but I just, I'm not going to. Maybe we need to have a no stream night and I just like take the gloves off and just blast every crazy experience that I've ever had. No, don't cheer on that. That's not good. I will say this. I had a pastor preach on weight loss and 10 people got saved. I'm just telling you, dude, I've seen God do it. I know it sounds weird. You say, man, I've never been into a whole service. But he wasn't, wouldn't be negative, he would be positive, so he'd call it weight winning. 
Not weight losing, that wouldn't be positive. Weight winning. <laughs> Ten people got saved. I said, what do I know? If the Holy Ghost is after someone, all you're doing is being obedient, providing an opportunity for them to come. It's crazy. Blew my mind. We'd have business meetings. They'd do it on a Wednesday night. I'm thinking, why would you have a business meeting when you got people that aren't members just trying to check your church out? Didn't care. Business meeting. Afterwards, all right, everybody bow your head, close your eyes. Three people get saved at a business meeting. I'm just like, what is going on? I mean, it just, just blew it all up for me. Why? Because... Man, God really wants to save people. And he'll use our stupidity. He'll use our failure. He'll, he'll, he'll use it all if we'll just become available. So this is Peter. Look at us. Look at us. He didn't go into his Joel 2 sermon. He had to embrace that man where he was right then. So he couldn't pull Joel 2 out. He had to come from a different angle. Peter knew what he had on the inside of him. Verse 5. So watch this. So the lame man paid attention to them. So I'm wondering how long was he trying to ignore these guys that kept saying right here. Now get this. Expecting to receive something from them. Verse 6. But boy, was he about to receive something from them. Not what he thought. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold. But what I do have, I give you. Man. Now watch this. This is the key. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. (laughs) Stand up and walk. (sighs) See, the world's asking for something they think they need. But you actually have what they actually need. But if you're not acquainted with that, You'll never call people up to that. You'll be content with throwing change in their deal. So think if they would have been content with that and just still would have been a good deed, still would have helped them out, rang in the cup, made them feel, well, we're going to prayer, clean, you know. But they wouldn't settle for that. They're not going to settle for that. Why? I got resurrected Jesus in me? Why would I settle for that? Why not go for the whole enchilada, I guess? Silver and gold they didn't have. But they had something way more precious than that. King Jesus. So, uh, there's a story. I think it's true, but it's, it's in history. But Thomas Aquinas would, uh, would come and visit the Pope, uh, Pope Innocent II, I believe it was. And the um, Pope had his money out on a table, and they were counting these long, large sums of money. And he, would take, he took Thomas Aquinas back into the money counting room and showed him. And Pope Innocent II looked at Thomas Aquinas, and he said, Never again can the church say, Silver and gold, have we none? Thomas Aquinas goes, Oh, yes, Holy Father, but neither can we say rise up and walk. (laughs) And um, I love this quote. In the beginning, the church was a fellowship of men and women centering on the living Christ. Then the church moved to Greece where it became a philosophy. Then it moved to Rome, where it became an institution. Next, it moved to Europe, where it became a culture. And finally, it moved to America, where it became a business. Verse 7, Peter took hold of him by the right hand and raised him up. And at once, we've got Dr. Luke here doing a prognosis. At once the man's feet and ankles were made strong. Oh, man. We got the doctor's approval, validation. This man's feet and ankles were made strong. 
And you got to think, how did Peter learn to put a hand out? You remember the story where he was walking on water? And he went down, and then he saw a hand. (laughs) See, because if you've never been picked up, you ain't about to go grab anybody and go pick them up. And that's what King Jesus does. He reaches down and he just picks us up. But he doesn't pick you up so that you can just be up. He picks you up so that you know what it was to put your hand out and grab somebody else. Pick them up. It's this continual cycle of stand up and walk. A continual cycle of put your hand out the way I put my hand out for you and grab someone else. I'm sending you to. Peter didn't just give a word. He gave a hand. Gave a hand. And it looked empty. (laughs) But if you've got an empty hand, it means you've got room to grab something else. And if Peter would have had his hands full of money, could he have reached down and picked him up? I don't know. No. I know God wants to bless. God wants to do these things. It's not like Peter was super spiritual because he didn't have any gold or silver. But if he would have had that, he wouldn't have reached down to what was on the inside of him and pulled him up. He would have been content to give what he had. That God might have some of you in seasons of lack so that you're not grabbing for some kind of crutch that would substitute for the presence of God. He might have you in a season of lack so that you could reach down and know what is actually on the inside of you. That some of you are so blessed, you're soft. You don't need anybody or anything. You don't need anything. You got it. You got it. You don't need the church. You don't need a pastor. You got it all figured out. And maybe that's your weakness, is your strength. That maybe it's kept you from being acquainted to what the real power is on the inside of you. Maybe. I don't know. Could be. Oh, come on now. Give me a little more time now. You can't, can't cut me off like that. Come on. Okay, I'm going to go. Verse 8. Now get this. He turned Pentecostal. You ready? He jumped up. Peter told him to stand. Too late. <laughs> you see that? He jumped up. Peter told him to stand. But he jumped. He went beyond the command. <laughs> Stand up and walk. How about I jump? How about I jump? You ever seen somebody that you thought you were just going to kind of snatch out of hell and they jump past you? Started out doing you in ministry. <laughs> Said, man, hey, I want them the Lord. How are they out doing me? <laughs> you know? It's like, oh, well, I just told them to stand, but they went ahead and just jumped. <laughs> they jumped. Peter was hoping he would stand, but this guy jumps. This guy, Mike Conley and Carl Lewis, I mean, he's, he's going. Let me help y'all. Y'all probably aren't track people. Uh, Michael Jordan, okay, is everybody <laughs> with me? My dad was in the track, so I grew up watching him. He did what he was never taught to do. <sighs> You see it? He jumped. He'd been that way since birth. Who taught him to jump? No one. But the genius of the Holy Spirit can teach you to do things that you've never done. That he goes from like stand up and walk to being like the chief praise guy. He's like the hype guy for the temple now. He's like the beggar guy who doesn't look like he could get his way out of a wet paper bag. Then he becomes the hype guy in the temple. He probably had flags. (laughs) 
But here's what I've learned. Don't ever judge somebody else's praise because you don't know the hell God pulled them out of. You'll never know what Jesus did for them. You'll never know. You'll never know. You say, man, they're jumping. Well, yeah, should have seen them before. Yeah, they're jumping. They've never jumped before. What do you want them to do? Crawl around and be sad about being saved and touched? You want them to not jump? Man, think if the correction of the police would have come around. You can't jump. It's out of order. Well, nobody ever taught me. I just did it because it was in me. It was in me. You weren't the one being carried every single day of your life. Being placed at a gate and having to beg. You weren't there. You don't know. So you might see the jump, but you weren't there for the pain. You weren't there for the pain. I had a friend, I'd deal with lots of people to come and trying to figure out addiction and different things. I had a friend that tell me about one of the runs he was on and and for the first time in his life he got to the place so low he was having to hold a sign. And he said Matt, there's nothing like having to hold a sign and have people look at you like that to feed your addiction. He said, I think I was doing the drugs so I didn't have to have the stairs and feel those. So he stood and began to walk around. And guess what? He gets to go where he could never go before. Temple. He entered the temple. He didn't get healed and leave God's house. Some people come in, they get what they want from the Lord. God fix my marriage. He starts doing the work. God, I'm in a tough time. As soon as it alleviates. The true mark of someone having an encounter is the miracle will lead them into deeper fellowship. So instead of being content and running out the gate and going home, he said, I'm going deeper with him and I'm going into the inner chambers. And when you really get touched, you won't be content for the outer courts begging for some change. You'll want to go all the way. You can't just say, oh, I've never been this far. Can I keep going? Like, whoa, that's the Holy of Holies. You can't go in there. Oh, well, can't. I mean, I can't. So God touched me out here, but I can't go. Okay. <laughs> it's an invitation to go deeper with him. Um, so he entered the temple, and he entered the courts with them, walking and leaping and praising God. I told you he was Pentecostal. Some of y'all need to get with the program. And verse 9, all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the man who used to sit and ask for donations at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with astonishment and amazement at what had happened to him. So get it. He's by the beautiful gate, and now he's more beautiful than the gate. <laughs> the subject matter goes from the ornate physical gate to, no, the more beautiful thing is a man restored 
back into the original intentions of God that is created in his image. A human life restored back into the image of God. And that's something more beautiful than a sacred temple. Why? Because you are a sacred temple. And God wants you whole and restored and living life to the full. You don't have to die on your issues begging for change. <laughs> you don't. You can stand up and walk. Has everybody in this room at one time had to stand up and walk? <laughs> right? And it might not have been that glorious. It might have been a walk to the altar. Go kneel. And give your life to Jesus. It can look a lot of different kind of ways, but nonetheless, it's beautiful. And identities get changed. The beautiful gate of the temple. Now this man becomes a beautiful gate. And becomes a gate to open other people into the presence of God by telling his story. Now he's the gate. <laughs> now he's the portal of heaven. Because he's got a story. And you got a story. And you ought to work on sharing it with people. And you might have to be like, look at me, look at me. <laughs> But if you know what's down on the inside of you, you won't be too proud to do it. You'll know that what you have is what the world needs. So, something more beautiful and sacred than the temple itself, a human life restored to its original attentions. But why? Why that? You have to come next week. And you'll see why God uses signs and wonders. Um, but yeah, that's it. Lord, let's, we just thank you, God. We just, we just love you. God, I pray that you just bless every individual here. God, thank you for just shaking, rattling our cages. God, let us not settle for anything less than the book of Acts experiences. And God, sometimes it... Sometimes the miracle is just the fact that we are serving you with all our heart. <laughs> you know? Let us not get caught up in the miracle, but look to what the miracle's pointing to. Let us not worship a sign, but say, God, what's the sign pointing to? And let that be our guide to keep us focused on Jesus. In Jesus' name, somebody get that. Get it. Granny's calling. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Love you guys, and uh, we'll see you Sunday. Thanks for tuning in. Our hope is that these messages will help you on your journey of discovering who Christ is and who you are in Him. You can learn more about our ministry at lvahs.org or follow us on Instagram at lakeview.hs.